We'll press forward with speed and urgency, for we have much to do in this winter of peril and significant possibilities. Much to repair, much to restore, much to heal, much to build, and much to gain. Few people in our nation's history have been more challenged or found a time more challenging or difficult than the time we're in now. Once in a century virus that silently stalks the country has taken as many lives in one year as America lost in all of World War II. Millions of jobs have been lost. Hundreds of thousands of businesses closed. A cry for racial justice, some 400 years in the making, moves us. The dream of justice for all will be deferred no longer. A cry for survival comes from planet itself. A cry that can't be any more desperate or any more clear. And now, a rise of political extremism, white supremacy, domestic terrorism, that we must confront and we will defeat. History, faith, and reason show the way, the way of unity. We can see each other, not as adversaries, but as neighbors. We can treat each other with dignity and respect. We can join forces, stop the shouting and lower the temperature. For without unity, there is no peace, only bitterness and fury. No progress, only exhausting outrage. No nation, only a state of chaos. This is our historic moment of crisis and challenge. And unity is the path forward. And we must meet this moment as the United States of America. And we must reject the culture in which facts themselves are manipulated and even manufactured. Here we stand, looking out in the great mall where Dr. King spoke of his dream. Here we stand, where 108 years ago, at another inaugural, thousands of protesters tried to block brave women marching for the right to vote. And today, we mark the swearing in of the first woman in American history elected to national office, Vice President Kamala Harris. Don't tell me things can't change. And I pledge this to you. I will be a president for all Americans, all Americans. And I promise you, I will fight as hard for those who did not support me as for those who did. We must end this uncivil war that pits red against blue, rural versus urban, or, or rural versus urban, conservative versus liberal. We can do this if we open our souls instead of hardening our hearts, if we show a little tolerance and humility. We're entering what may be the toughest and deadliest period of the virus. We must set aside politics and finally face this pandemic as one nation. One nation. And I promise you this, as the Bible says, weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning.
We will get through this together, together. With that, can we all just take a giant sigh of relief that there is a peaceful transition of power. Um, we can all calm down. We can all chill out for a second. No, no, we cannot. That was a test and you failed. I'm kidding. Welcome to the show. This is episode 15 of the Point B podcast. I would call it the Friday debrief, except today is Saturday. It is Saturday morning. Um, I apologize. I, I do my best to get those Friday debriefs out, but... As I've said before, um, having that that full time job uh, and family, you know, sometimes it's just tough to uh, to break away. For you know, if this was something I, I did consistently and I felt just so confident, and comfortable with it, um, I would just jump straight into recording an episode right after work. But it, it takes so much <laughs> mental preparation and note taking that uh, it's not something I want to rush at this point. So. Uh, I apologize, but I hope you will join me this Saturday morning. Uh, before we get into it, I have to make note that I am sipping on my Black Rifle coffee, of course. And boy, it's hitting the spot this morning. It's been a weird week. Um, work stress, country stress, politics, um, home stress. Uh, just There's so much for us to be thankful for, and it, it's hard for us to, to lose sight of that sometimes. And uh, I, I'll be the first to admit that I am so wishy-washy on my faith in God, and and I hate that. But you know, there's there's days where I'm like, God, you got this. Everything's going great. Just got paid, and then the next day, rant comes out, and it's like, What are you doing? Why, my God, why have you forsaken me? And it, it's it's not that dramatic, really. Um, at least it shouldn't be. But if uh, if you see how I respond to life events, you might think it is a little bit more dramatic than it actually is. But, uh, but seriously, I'm happy we, we made it through January 20th. Um, there are so many conspiracy theories going around of protests that were going to happen and violence that was going to happen. And we didn't see any of that. It was peaceful. Um, of course, DC was on complete lockdown, like 25, 24,000 national guard troops were, um, sleeping in garages and things. I actually saw a, a report that Trump had opened up his hotel to the national guard to sleep in, which I thought was awesome. Uh, I'd like to, I, I need to look into that actually and see if that's true before I, before I give the, the Donald any, any credit he's not owed, but, uh, we made it through. It was peaceful. Biden gave what I thought was a, a well-crafted speech, um, full of, good goals and aspirations. Um, I'll say that, uh, it it was a little over, well, actually, I don't know how long it was. Um, I didn't play anywhere near all of it, of course, but I wanted, I wanted to get my point across Biden, president, Joe Biden, my president, Joe Biden did make a concerted effort or whoever wrote the speech. (laughs) We'll say that, um, to, to be unifying, to use unifying language, Except in some areas, I would say that maybe maybe they don't even realize they're not being unifying in their language. Um, they're maybe 
pouring some salt on some wounds, but we'll get into that in just a second. Um, back to Black Rifle Coffee. How did I just completely skip skip over to Joe Biden? Get out of here, Joe. Um, back to the morning, Joe. Uh, Black Rifle Coffee is... It's, it's, I'm not very passionate about brands very often. There's very, th- very few brands where, I, you know, you just can't get me to shut up about it. Apple, of course, is one of them. I'm an Apple nerd. Um, I love my Black Rifle Coffee. And then there's probably a, a handful of others. But specifically Black Rifle, there's a few things I enjoy besides just, oh, I like coffee. Or, oh, it's a cool brand. I mean, their, their marketing is genius. It's, it's awesome. But beyond that, uh, I've said it before, I'll say it again, it's a great product with great people behind it who are doing great things with every purchase. Um, Black Rifle Coffee gives back to, of course, veterans organizations. They're shipping coffee overseas to the troops who are still deployed. Thank God, far fewer um, due to Donald Trump's push to get everybody back from overseas. Thank God for that. Um, but they, yeah, they send coffee overseas to people deployed. They, uh, help out with veterans organizations, law enforcement organizations, first responders. Uh, they're, they're, they're very tight in that community of, of uniforms, uh, be it civilian or, or otherwise. And, uh, and I think that's a, that's a great thing. I love supporting that. I love feeling like when I'm spending my dollars, yeah, I'm, I'm giving more to black rifle than I would give to freaking Folgers or whoever at the, at HEB or the grocery store. Um, but I'm okay with that because I know that it's going to a great cause and that makes me feel good about my dollars. And I think that is something very different about not just the current, um, economy, the retail market space. I think that's very unique to the younger generation that has money. I mean, we, we've got money, you know, we've got jobs. Um, and maybe not all of that money is disposable, but there's a small portion that is disposable and we can lump that in with stuff we would have bought anyways. And we can do a little something good with what we're buying um, with our consumer dollars, which is awesome. That's a, that's the beauty of, of capitalism. That's how it's supposed to work. That's the beauty of a free market. I love it. And I hope it sticks around. Um, well, like I've said, I don't have a discount code, but go to uh, www.blackrafflecoffee.com and check them out. Maybe, maybe buy a bag ground pre, uh, whole bean, whatever you want to do. But I highly encourage you to check out their subscription, have that coffee shipped to you as often as you need it. And it's always fresh. It's at your door. You never have to think about it. It's beautiful. It's COVID friendly and they're a great company. So, uh, moving on. So seriously, um, looking at Biden's first day, looking at his speech, the language used, um, I think there's a lot of things we can take away that can inspire some hope. Uh, I seriously want to express my hope that at optimism, but I do, I have a, a longing in me. I have a hope, I, a desire that Joe Biden really does believe at least a quarter of what he said in his speech. Um, and I hope that I legitimately hope that Biden succeeds at anything that he tries to do if it really is in the long and or short-term benefit of the American people, of the American voter, and not just the American or American voter, the American worker, the, the, the person going out there of all sex, religious backgrounds, non-religious backgrounds, 
moral backings, whatever. On behalf of that American worker, I hope Joe Biden succeeds in anything that really does benefit them. So I wanted to start with Biden's own words before I took the microphone away and expressed my my opinion or my concerns about his words. Um, and so before I get into that, I want to list out Biden's day one executive orders, his I'm going to do this on day one. And this is the stuff he kept his promise to do because that's very important. If you don't know the first, of course, the first hundred days is the, the big thing for presidents, but also more recently with our shortened news cycles is what's, what's he going to do on his first day in, in this era of, ex, of the executive order? Um, what's he going to do immediately? And it's a signal to the direction he's going to take his administration, number one, but then number two, it's validation for those who've got him into office. Um, many of them, what I would personally consider to be a far left borderline radical agenda. Uh, and I, and I say borderline because there is the far left, far left extremist side that he did not, uh, hat tip to, which I was very, very happy about. Um, so let's get into it. Here's, here's the executive orders that Joe Biden, president Joe Biden signed on day one. Um, launch a 100 days masking challenge and leading by example in the federal government. So uh, the wording here, this is all via uh, an article from CNBC. This is, of course, public information, but uh, I did just paste their um, their headlines into here. So any verbatim, it's from CNBC. Uh, beyond that, well, I won't use that phrase. <laughs> uh, so a masking challenge. Great. Cool. The statistics overwhelmingly support the fact that Americans on the majority are, are on the whole are doing well with masking. You know, if you, if you go out, unless you're in a small town somewhere, even in a big city, if you walk through a giant Costco or whatever, yeah, you might see one or two rebels, but pretty much everybody's got their masks on. And again, the free market helped out with this. Capitalism helped out because all you got to do is slap somebody's favorite team on there. And, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll totally wear a mask as long as it's got the freaking Cowboys star on the front or whatever, sports. Um, so people are wearing their masks. That campaign under Trump was very successful. Uh, and I will say that there was, there was campaigning from the administration. Um, the, the left would argue not as much leading by example. But... There was that effort coming from the administration, but then also there's just the social shaming, the um, the virtue signaling that was going on, making sure everybody knew, oh, I'm wearing my mask. Well, you're not wearing your mask. You're a pariah. Um, completely ignore the fact that half the celebrities were wearing crocheted masks that were completely ineffective, but uh, I digress. So 100-day masking challenge, leading by example in the federal government. Great. No problems there. I wear my mask if I'm out in public. Everybody should wear their mask when they're out in public. Because again, this boils down to the fact that nobody disagrees about wearing masks. Uh, as far as the majority of, of sane, rational people, nobody really gives a crap. Yeah, it's annoying, but I don't want to kill anybody. And, and so in the majority, we got this. We're good. That's not the problem. The problem is, you know, who's at risk? Do we keep kids out of schools because of whatever? Like, no, send them back to school. They, they're fine. They they can get the virus and they can recover. And they may not even know that they ever had 
ever had it. They may, may never display symptoms. They're very asymptomatic, and that's great. Let them get it, recover, and they're and they're golden. Um, beyond that, the older at-risk population, of course, needs to be protected, which is a great reason to wear masks out in public because you don't know who you're going to bump into. You know, when you're you're switching aisles at the grocery store, and inevitably somebody runs into you with their cart, or worse, not with their cart. You just you know face smash into somebody, and oh, COVID. You know, so that that is great to avoid. Um, so it, people act as if there's this huge divide there, but I, I, there really isn't, I don't believe. So maybe I shouldn't even have even brought up that there is a divide somewhere. Maybe that was actually creating a divide where I wasn't trying. Anyways. All right. Number two, re-engage with the world health organization to make Americans and the world safer. Whatever. So the WHO, first of all, disagreed with themselves over and over, contradicted themselves over and over through the beginnings of the pandemic. So I don't give a crap what they say. All the World Health Organization has turned into is a freaking money pit. And what's what was great under the Trump, uh, organ, Trump administration was his efforts to say, hey, yes, okay, fine, let's have this world organization, but why are we the only ones freaking paying into it? America has funded so many, whether it's the UN, the WHO, um, oh shoot, I just had another one on the tip of my tongue, but the, uh, Paris climate agreements, we're the only ones up, upending or upholding our end of the bargain, whereas China was getting off scot-free. We'll get into that in just a second. Um, it's time, you know, from, from a, a party that loves to say everybody needs to pay their fair share. America was paying more than its fair share as far as the global economy goes. So, um, not, not as excited about that. But it is a signal of where they're going to go with climate change and concerns and all those different things. Um, we'll see what happens. But that, to me, is not a very unifying thing because I don't believe our country is united on that specific point. But he made a, he made a point to take care of it on day one. So that says something to me. Number three, structure our federal government to coordinate a unified national response to COVID-19. I don't understand how that hasn't already been done. I mean, we've heard it over and over again. This vaccine was created through the mobilization of Operation Warp Speed under President Trump and Mike Pence. I'll say specifically Mike Pence more so. Um, and they did a phenomenal job. And yet, it, to me, this first day... Uh, executive order is nothing more than just signaling. And it's just, it's, I saw a post today, actually, if, if Trump had won COVID-19 would become the deadliest virus in the history of the world. They would make sure not that it would become that, but as far as the language of the media goes, COVID would become front and center, the biggest concern ever. And they would never let up about it because that overwhelmingly did hurt Donald Trump leading up to uh, the election in November his handling of covid so it was a it was a it was a trump card for the left they get they could say that you know he botched the covid-19 handling and when joe biden gets in he's going to take care of it so now that joe did win now they get to pivot and say everything before november before january 20th really was terrible and the wrong way to handle it so we're just going to do the exact same thing now but we're going to pretend it was never done before that's exactly what they're doing they're, they're doing exactly what the Trump administration already did. The difference being they're, of course, going to put a heavy emphasis on mask wearing. And that's where we're going to, that's, 
they're that's going to be their moral validation right there. But I, I think people are smarter, smarter than they give credit um, for. I think we uh, most people can see through that bullcrap. Uh, what is this number four? Extend eviction foreclosure moratoriums. Uh, great. You know, I mean, I, I agree. Federal government's closing down the economy. If you can't pay your rent because of an action of the federal government, you should not be kicked out of your your apartment or your your home if you can't pay your mortgage. Things like that. That, that. that to me is just a common sense thing. So I applaud you. Number five, extend student loan pause. Um, cool. I guess, you know, whatever. Same, same thing. If you can't pay your student loans because you're out of work or whatever, I don't think you should be penalized for that because it's not like you left a job or got fired. You had the federal government come in and say, Hey, you can't go to work. Oh, excuse me. That's why I hate, I honestly hate that we're calling the, these, these bills that are being passed with the, um, the COVID-19 relief bills. They are relief bills. They are not stimulus packages. They are not stimulating the economy. They are compensating for the fact that the economy has been manually and intentionally suppressed by the federal government. Very different thing there. Stimulus is, okay, everything's happening as normal. Now we're going to uh, intentionally inject cash into the system to stimulate it further. It implies a certain level of present pre-existing stimulation. And I promise that's the last time I'm going to use that word. Um, next rejoin the Paris agreement. I'm going to stop counting because I keep losing count and I wasn't smart enough to number this list. (laughs) We're going to rejoin the Paris agreement on climate change. Um, Paris agreement was one of the things that Trump got us out of, got, got us out of very quickly for good reason. It's completely freaking worthless. Then we are the world's leader in carbon emission decrease we're doing so well when it comes to that and you know fine if if it if it really it's if it's helping the the immediate climate you know not having smog and things like that people's allergies and just overall breathing health that's great what it has what effect it has globally i'm not smart enough to know that all i know is there's a lot of skepticism from both sides so in that type of situation, I tend to lean on. It's probably not really a big deal because if it was, well, I've said it before, a lot of these climate activists wouldn't be building seaside homes. Anyways, another thing about the Paris Agreement is the fact that China is a member, but they've overwhelmingly been able to escape any sort of harsh criticism on their level of emissions, which are outrageous. You've seen the photos of these these large urban areas in China where it looks like it's foggy outside and it's literally not. And people have to wear masks, not because of COVID, but because of the freaking pollution in the air. Obviously that's a bad thing. And yet somehow they get to be a member of the Paris agreement and nobody says anything. It's pointless to me. I don't know why we would pay into something that's not even all it is, is imposing restrictions on ourselves that we could impose on ourselves and not give a crap what the world's doing. Cause it's apparently not helping much out with the world. Roll back President Trump's environmental actions in order to protect public health and the environment and restore science. Um, that's a long sentence to say. We're, we're going to... What's the 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 term? Um, the, the Keystone Pipeline from Canada. Whatever it is I'm trying to say. They're, they're going to shut, shut it that down. Um, 
which is which is sad because we went from being the world's one of the world's largest consumers of oil and we were importing oil in mass to becoming one of the largest exporters of oil in the world and what does that mean that doesn't just mean profits for oil companies yes it does but if they're going to profit i would much rather them profit because they're pulling oil out of the ground in the u.s and they're sending it abroad because what that does is that takes power away from the oil oligarchs in the middle east and in russia who can use their influence in the oil market. The oil market affects every single market there is, whether it's the healthcare market, whether it's your groceries, whatever it is, the cost of oil affects that market. And so when you're essentially in control of that market, because it's not that the U.S. doesn't have oil, it's that we're not pulling it out of the ground. Well, now Russia and the Middle East get to control that market. And not just the Middle East, uh, it's, what is it, OP- OPEC or whatever. Um they can control the market and essentially economies, world economies live or die off of the cost of oil production and, and importing it into your country. Um, so that was a huge deal with the, with America becoming an exporter of oil and seemingly that's all going to be undone uh, pretty quickly by the Biden administration. I hope not. I hope somehow we're able to, to do this because not, you know, who else benefited really really well from that was Canada. Trudeau has already, ex- already expressed disapproval of that because that was, it, it was a no brainer. We need oil. We're going to get oil from somewhere. Why not from a friendly country to the North of us versus enemies across the ocean? It makes absolutely no sense, but there you go. He did it. Um, launch a whole of government initiative to advance racial e- equity. Uh, what that means, 1619 Project, if you haven't looked into that, I've mentioned it before, but essentially, um, we've already seen it. Trump tried to put a stop to it as, as best he could, but we've seen government organizations already pulling the white people and their staff out, specifically the white people, only the white people, and putting putting them through an education class, essentially calling them racists, Um saying that it, even if you don't think you're racist, that is evidence of your racial bigotry. That That's the evidence of your white privilege and requiring people to start learning, relearning what it means to be a racist. And you got people all over the country who are thinking, I'm not a racist. But then those who are, who are, who believe in the 1619 project, which believes that America began in 1619 when the first uh, slave was brought over, um, and that that began America. So we have roots. We are rooted in racism. Therefore, there's a justification to, to hate this country. That is what it's about. It has links and ties financially to the, to the Chinese communist government. Um, they've got tentacles in a lot of bad places. And it all centers on the fact that America is bad. America is an oppressor. And that America essentially should be brought down. Um, and, and that's the type of stuff that's going to be allowed into our government. Um, we're going to cover that in another episode, definitely, because it's not going away. Uh, reverse President Trump's executive order excluding undocumented immigrants from the reapportionment count, the census. Um, you know, honestly, I'm not sure how I feel there. Uh, I'd have to look at, I guess, what is a census used for? And I'm just not educated enough to know that specifically uh part of me says why wouldn't you want to know uh who these undocumented immigrants are 
if we're going to ask those questions of our citizens living here, why wouldn't we ask those of the undocumented people living here in an effort to know who they are? And so then there's, we can make kind of a risk assessment. It's like, well, they're here, but overwhelming, overwhelmingly they're this type of worker or they're this type of whatever, this type of person morally. Um, maybe we should just go ahead and let them stay here or the opposite. We could say, well, crap, there, they seem to be a bunch of freaking wackos. So let's get them out of here. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, that's the most I can say on it is just a, a, a very uneducated way to say, I don't know. Um, so I'll leave it there. Preserve and fortify protections for dreamers. Uh, increasingly I I've become more on the side of dreamers of the dream act and saying, Hey, you came here as a baby. You didn't come here intentionally breaking the law. I believe you should be allowed to stay because you're already in our, in our system. You're already in our economy, in our schools, in our healthcare. It doesn't make sense to just send it back. It's kind of, to me, it seemed like such a middle finger to somebody who has already contributed in some way or another to our society as a whole. To me, it didn't seem like such a bad thing to just let them stay here or, or at least provide a pathway to citizenship, given that they can check the certain boxes of you know, learning our culture, learning our language, learning our systems, um, knowing how to stay out of debt, knowing how to take out a loan, knowing, knowing how to pay taxes, things like that. Like, so that they're, they're, they can become a, an, an American citizen, not, um, you know, an immigrant. And that's what, I, that's what I love about the immigrant population. The legal immigrant population overwhelmingly is one of the toughest critics on the illegal immigrant population because the legal immigrant population came here through the mechanisms they needed. And so many people like to say, well, that's only the rich. And that's, that's just completely not true. It is not only the rich that come here that way. It is the patients who come here that way because they value law and order. Why the hell would you leave a country that is, whether you have a dictator or there's just mob rule or there's shootings all the time. If you're leaving a place, it's most of the time it's because of a lack of law and order, or at least a lack of a fair system of law and order and justice. They come here because supposedly they like our system of justice. But if you come here and violate a very big portion of our law, well, you must not value it that much. And I personally know someone, very good friend of mine who came from Iran. Well, he always corrects me, Iran. Um, and his, you know, his family's still there, but he went through the proper routes, he and his wife, and they came here and they love this country. He actually received his citizenship right before the election. And he made sure everybody knew he was very proud to vote Trump, uh, during the election, not because of, you know, he's, he's got so many friends or Trump supporters, but because he and I don't really po talk politics but he's got a lot of friends that are Middle Eastern. He, he, his wife works at a Middle Eastern restaurant. So he's in the Middle East community and he's like, all of my friends love Trump. And that to me, that was very telling. Um, all right, let's move on. Reserve, reverse the Muslim ban. Um, it, it, to me that it's so poorly worded that it's almost doesn't deserve recognition here, but I'll admit this, these aren't Biden's words, so I'll, I'll still address it. It wasn't a Muslim ban. It was a ban on specific countries from the Middle East where there are terrorist training camps, there are terrorist hotbeds and radicalism. And so there was a ban on specific countries sending people here for whatever reason they're coming here. 
the left and the media loved to call it a Muslim ban because it, it, it harkens back all the way to, to right after 9-11 and they get to invoke those same feelings and emotions and it's, it's complete pandering to the left in my opinion. So that's all the justification or validation. I'll give that one. I need a sip of some coffee. Because uh, I'm falling asleep. Uh, repeal of Trump interior enforcement executive order. That, honestly, I have not looked up. I apologize. Um, interior enforcement. Well, you know what? I can, I can look it up right now. There's a pause button. Okay, so so very similar to the um, to the just the the immigration argument in general. This was kind of a, a lead up to what the media called the Muslim ban, I believe. And essentially, what, what this did this this targeted sanctuary cities. So you had a lot of cities, um, maybe not a lot, but a handful, especially along the border, southern border, uh, c- labeling themselves sanctuary cities where illegal immigrants could go, and local police and everything would not arrest them and deport them. Um, essentially just it, it thumbing their nose in the face of the federal government, which by the way, I'm, I'm a fan of, um, they were not a fan of Trump saying that he was going to take away federal funding though. Uh, they wanted to, um, have their cake and eat it too. Uh, so I'm totally on board with sanctuary cities. I love it. I think it's a, it's a state, right? It's a, it's a very localized mentality where if they don't like what the federal government says, your local sheriff can say, screw you. I'm not going to enforce that. We've seen that through, um, through the COVID lockdowns, you've had sheriffs come and say, yeah, okay, the, the state or the federal government is saying that we can't, um, well, it wasn't federal, it was state, state saying that we can't congregate in numbers too big or whatever. And you had many small town, maybe not so small town, local sheriffs saying we're not going to enforce that. So that, that is, that is a function of our system and I love it. Um, so that's cool. I have no problem with sanctuary cities except for the fact that what was happening was they were allowing their citizens. They weren't providing a, a sanctuary for citizens. They were providing a sanctuary for illegal immigrants and those illegal immigrants. Um, not all of them, obviously. I don't know how, how, how many times or how, how many different ways we can express this sentiment. Obviously, the majority of illegal immigrants are here for good reasons. They just want to work and make money and not live in a dictatorial uh, country. I get it. But there are those, and it only takes a few. It only takes a few bad apples to sully the whole batch. And you had many bad apples coming in who were drunks, who were murderers and rapists and drug abusers and drug traffickers. So obviously those are there as well, which is why the sanctuary cities issue was so big is because you're not protecting just normal people trying to live their lives. You're protecting illegals who are infringing on the rights of others. And that's where I've got a big problem with it. But we've seen the sanctuary city mentality turned around where you've got second amendment sanctuary cities now, and you've also got abortion sanctuary cities where abortion is illegal in those areas. So, so, so this, um, it was a, 2017 executive order from Trump, the interior enforcement. Uh, I need to read up, read up a little bit more on that, obviously, but we get the gist. Uh, stop border wall construction. Well, I mean, it's pretty much done, I think, at this point. Uh, deferred enforced departure for Liberians, presidential mem- memorandum. I, I have not heard of that. I'm sorry. I'll have to read up on that. 
preventing and combating discrimination on the basis of gender identity or sexual orientation. This was a big one, especially in the sports community, because you had it, it centered around women's sports where you had transgender women. Um, so women, but with a couple extra sets of whatever, um, were able to compete with other women in, in sports. And as we've seen, the, the WNBA is not going anywhere. If you wanted to be real legit about this whole uh, gender fluidity, there is no gender type argument. There should be no WNBA. It should just be the National Basketball Association. And if there's women, if there are women that are talented enough to compete against the men, they would be on the team. Unfortunately, biology tells us otherwise. And what we've learned is that as far as many of these sports go that are much more physical sports, the men excel. And that is not a slam on women. I, I, I don't understand why it would be, uh, but that's why they're separate. And so the, the women were, were feeling discriminated against because they're essentially having to compete against men who have transgendered. And is transgendered a word? I don't know. I'm not sure if that can be used as a verb. But that caused a big stink in the sports world, and I'm anxious to see how that plays out um, long-term. Executive branch personal personnel ethics executive order. I'm not sure what that was. Regulatory process executive order and presidential memorandum. Not sure what that was. Uh, so we'll stop with the list there, or that is the end of the list of Joe Biden's day one executive orders. Um and so what I want to transition to is after all of that, after all the signaling in his executive orders, all the signaling in his uh, inauguration speech, as good as it was, we still have Antifa protesting. In fact, Antifa, um, on inauguration day, I believe, or day after inauguration, uh, in Portland, are still rioting. We are ungovernable, the group's banner declared. Uh, so there's a New York Times article, and I will skim through that with you here in just a second, talking about uh, the Portland protesters already meeting, being met with federal um, federal agents to quell the rioting. And so you would think if the riots were, and this is kind of a, maybe a slam on a little bit of the language of the conservative right, where Antifa has been has been seen as this agent of the Democrat party. And in many ways, I don't think Antifa gives a crap about political party, just like the radicals who stormed the Capitol on January 6th. They don't give a crap about Trump or Biden. They really don't. What they want is chaos because they want a system that is full of chaos that can be molded into what they believe is the correct way for us all to live, which is counter to um, how our system is supposed to work. Uh, so I don't believe Antifa loves the Democrat party. I do believe the Democrat party used Antifa and the, the anger and the emotion surrounding the black lives matter movement that just caught so much fire this year, uh, literally. And the, the left essentially turned a blind eye to the violence coming out of that because it produced so much grassroots, um, excitement for them. Uh, many would compare that to how Donald Trump would not just flat out say he didn't want, uh, was David Dukes or somebody, uh, one of the KKK members didn't want his endorsement. Um, 
And so many people slammed Trump for that. Well, I believe that somewhat of the same mentality on a much larger scale was used by the Democrats uh, over the fall because they didn't want to lose out on votes and they didn't want to signal that they were against this anger uh, coming from the racial justice movement. And so they just kept silent. I would anticipate a swift movement against any anti-Democrat rioting happening in the country uh, now that the election is over and there's no more political points to be played um, until the next election. Uh, so I think we'll see a, a 180 pivot from the Democrat Party as far as that goes. But now, uh, now that we see what Biden has done, as far as his executive orders, the direction he's going to take the country, um, I have concerns. And I've already expressed some of them. But one, one thing that I see is that Antifa is legit. They're the real deal. They are anti-fascist in their own terms. Um, I would call them uh, fascists themselves as they, they love to shout down free speech. They love to uh, burn books. Um, so it's a little ironic there. Uh, but they are the real deal. They weren't just an overdramatic ploy to the extremist side of the Democrat Party. It wasn't just for show. Uh, as far as Antifa's own actions are concerned. And it, it isn't going away, it doesn't seem like. I foresee a very tired Joe Biden using federal force to quickly quell the violence and imagine that he he was the only one capable of bringing peace uh, to Portland, Portland specifically. You know, a lot of these cities that had riots going on over the summer made sure Trump did not feel free to send in federal troops, and he did not. Therefore, the violence continued. Uh, I... I do not believe the same thing will happen this time around. There's something I want to get into, and we're already 40 minutes into this podcast, so I'm not going to go real deep. Uh, I'm going to try at least. But Biden's cabinet, it, it deserves its own podcast. The people that Biden has surrounded himself with are, um, man, it's crazy. The Keystone Pipeline obviously has already been... Um, I don't, know, I don't know what you call it, banned or whatever. The permits that were signed executively to allow it to exist are going to be revoked. Uh, so you've got a lot of environmental extremists within the Biden cabinet. You've got a plethora of Ukraine connections that are undeniable. And something I want you to look into, educate yourself on, I'm doing the best I can, reading what I can, finding what I can really. Um, but an investment group, called BlackRock. This is something with ties to almost every major Democrat that's out there. Joe Biden, Obama, Susan Rice, I believe. Um, the major players are tied to this BlackRock investment group. Uh, and I'm pulling this information from a, a www.ecowatch.com. Uh, so this is centering on the, the economic, the financial side, obviously, because they are an, an investment group. But not only are they an investment group, they are one of the investment groups. Uh, billions of dollars, uh, I'm sorry, trillions of dollars in cash that this group has. Um, they are the largest money manager group in the world. $7.8 trillion in cash and assets. They, in, they control the investment money globally. Uh, they have, as a group, they have the highest GDP in the world. They are lower than China and higher than Japan as far as the money that they control. So imagine what if you are a group full of leftist mentality members 
and you control the money supply to startups. Because the way this works is you're an investment group. You compile everybody's money and you dole that cash out to startups, to different companies. Well, what they're going to do here, I'm going to go through this as fast as I can. So please read up on it. Um, they're, they are bringing into the financial world the concern about global warming. So those dollars are going to stop flowing to groups or to companies that don't sign on to a Green New Deal type of mentality. This is a giant hat tip, hat tip to the Green New Deal movement. And not a good one, I would argue. Because uh, they're also proponents, those members are proponents of the Great Reset Plan. We've talked about that, the World Economic Economic Forum has published a lot of information on the Great Reset. They're using the term Great Reset. John Kerry, when asked if he believed that Joe Biden would be a slow play on the Great Reset or if he would speed things up, John Kerry said that he's he believes and he he guaranteed Joe Biden would take unprecedented unprecedented action towards enacting a global reset and really cement the globalist mentality of how the world needs to operate. So read into that. Um, but as far as getting back to BlackRock Investment Group, they control the startup investment money, um, much of it, most of it globally, and they're going to start using that money. They're going to start speaking with their dollars. If you're a startup, but you are starting up in an oil and gas industry, don't look for money from BlackRock Investment Group because they're going to stop giving money in those directions. Uh, but they're going to continue to give money to startups that support leftist ideologies. And so that that's a, a gigantic concern for me because it's not just that, oh, uh, that, that that's just what these people believe. It's that these people are members of BlackRock Investment, come from BlackRock Investment. And essentially their money comes from it. So they're controlled by BlackRock, BlackRock Investment Group. So read up on that. Uh, of course, the Hunter Biden scandal, I don't believe is going away. There's a, a current federal investigation going into it right now into his taxes. And I'm curious what that will turn up. Um, but right now, just leading into 2021, I mean, we're almost through the first month. It feels like we're, we should be six months into the year. My concern is not who is in the White House. My concern is the actions those people are going to take. And we have seen just since November too much language coming from the left, like cleansing um, lists of Trump supporters, talks of banishing certain people from Congress because they, in the words of the left, they stood, stood up with Trump in his attempted coup. But really, people like Ted Cruz, all they did was speak up for their constituents who had real concerns about the fairness of this election. You didn't see people talking about banning people from Congress over 2016 when the left contested that election and still have not admitted that Donald Trump won that election. There was no peaceful transfer of power when it comes to that. Uh, well, I, I, I'll correct myself there. They, obviously, they transferred the power. Uh, but then what they did is they launched investigation after investigation into Donald Trump and his family and his business. And what did they find? Giant nothing burger. But now, now uh, they want unity and transition of power. So that's that's great. Uh, but I think we're going to see even more talk of this cleansing and silencing of Trump and conservatives. We've seen big tech already start working on that. Um, and now I'm seeing reports that they're going to start regulating podcasts a lot more, which made 
that could be the death of a podcast like me who I'm just starting. I don't even have traction really to go with. Um, and all they have to do is just, I guess, read audio files and they can find certain language and ban it. Uh, so it's all coming coming down the pipe in the exact way that we anticipated it would. Uh, and it, everything from technology, uh, social media, Google, all that, it's all controlled by the left. And we saw a big figure who I believe has a role to play politically, even if he doesn't take that step. Uh, Joe Rogan went up against Shopify, um, not Shopify, I'm sorry, Spotify, when he was trying to get his podcast onto that platform. It eventually did, but you, there was um, members of the staff of Spotify that quit or protested. And it's just insane that we're literally seeing these arguments about politics infiltrate just normal everyday speech just the right of me to put my ideas out there and for you to listen to what I believe and then agree or disagree with me however you want. We should have that right, but the left is the party now of stifling that ability in the name of peace and unity. And that's a question I had to write my I had to ask myself just now. In Joe Biden's inauguration speech, he, he used the phrase without unity there can be no peace. And that, that's interesting to me because all summer we heard no justice, no peace. Joe Biden transitioned to no unity, no peace. But what I, and I haven't really settled on what how this little puzzle fits together. But in both instances, freedom is nowhere to be found. And freedom fits in there. I'm, I'm thinking to myself, no unity, no freedom. Well, that's not necessarily true. You can be free in a divided country. No peace, no freedom. Maybe no justice, no freedom. I mean, that's definitely true. So there's something there, but overall, the, the left's lack of concern for individual freedoms is really where my concern lies predominantly. I don't believe that the left really believes in individualism, in personal freedoms, and in personal liberties. I believe that they're okay with freedom so long as you use your freedoms to the benefit of well, what 1984 would call the party, the, the, the cult of um, leftist ideology and climate change fear-mongering. Um, if you use your freedoms to the benefit of what they would call their own agenda, you're good, you're golden, you'll probably prosper, you'll probably do really well. If you dare dissent or deviate from that message, though, they control the spread of information from Google to, to social media and tech companies. They control the message and the flow of information. So I don't know where all this leads. Uh, I do believe that we have to get brave. I do believe that we have to start using our voices. As, I, as I've said before, use it or lose it. Right. Um, it really is time for us to get brave, for us to use our voices. It's very important now for us to stand up for ourselves. And I think that overall, as a people, Americans, just the average everyday American wants to be passive. I mean, it took Pearl Harbor getting bombed for us to enter World War II. We don't want to get embroiled in these conflicts. And yet here we are. We're in a giant conflict. I've talked about it before. I believe that 
secession has either already happened or is currently happening. And it's not, hey, we quit. It's a, hey, you're fired type thing happening. And big tech companies are more than compliant to stick with it. But from what I have heard is that Silicon Valley is not leftist predominantly. The tech industry itself is much more libertarian. Um, it's just, you've got big players like Facebook and Twitter who are using their power or using their voice with the power backing of Google and Apple to carry out their agenda. So as far as us, the average American goes, number one, carry on, make sure that you're doing the right things for you and your family. Right now, my wife and I are on this push and we've been, 2020 was great for us as far as getting out of debt. We've been paying off small loans, paying off credit cards, basically <laughs> having to own uh, a lot of really bad decisions I made in my 20s. Excuse me. And same for her. We both just took, took on debt that we had no business taking on. And then we got married and it's like, wow, maybe we should uh, rein this in a little bit. So anyway, so we're making good decisions there and it's helping us just in the overall stress of life. Um, not to worry so much about bills because you start knocking out those minimum payments and it, it, it adds up really quick. Paying off the truck was a great big thing because that's a huge payment now that can start paying down other cards. It's great. I encourage you to start taking those steps as well because no matter how bad the country gets, it's only as bad as you allow it to affect you. And if you are in massive debt, the economy plays a huge role on your life because guess what? You've got variable interest debt at that point. And it can either be as high as it can go, or it can be as low as it can go, depending on how the banking system is perceiving the economy. So you're at the mercy of large financial institutions with debt, which I do not, I do not enjoy <laughs> one bit. Uh, I hate being out of control of my own destiny. So we're paying debt off from there. I think it's very important that whether you're conservative, liberal, I don't care. I hope everybody's listening to this show. Um, it's time to start getting very active in your local community. Don't just go and vote once every four years and think that you're serving politically. I'm guilty of that. I'm not, I'm not incriminating anybody there. I'm speaking more to myself. Uh, you're not a good citizen just because you voted straight ticket four years ago. So it's time to get active in local communities. I'm not sure what that looks like. I don't even know where to begin yet. Um, but that, that is my goal in 2021 is to get engaged locally, to know who is on my school board, to know who is in my local city government. Um, my mayor, from what I've seen, I've, I've watched his messages coming out during COVID. He seems to be a very reasonable, freedom-loving guy. Um, but I also have seen tendencies for him to just kind of do whatever the big city around us is doing. And, and that I did not like. And so I want to, I want to learn more. Who are you? What do you, what are your goals? What are your aspirations? And I think we all owe it to ourselves and to our fellow man, our fellow Americans to be active locally and then let that concern filter upwards where, okay, now I'm not a citizen in my local government. I'm a, I'm a local rep or whatever. I'm going to Austin every now and then. So now your concerns start moving upwards and you can affect positive change from a larger stage, but you started lower and that's important. Um, 
a lot of our concerns, I believe, when we can, when we're so scared of a federal government, I think a lot of that concern could be fixed if we just took the power out of that large centralized body and allowed states to do what they want to do. And we've gotten away from that federalism and I don't know. I'm, I'm rambling at this point. So I'm going to leave you with that. There are good things. There are important things that we need to start doing as a people and focusing on and not outsourcing that concern to others. And that I believe should be the mission of 2021. And beyond that, I have to say, I wish Joe Biden the best. I hope he does well as president. I hope that anything that he wants to do that is for the benefit of the people that he will succeed at. And I hope that we can keep this respect that Donald Trump earned for us from our allies and even our enemies overseas that believe America really is a, uh, a, a city on a, on a hill and that we have light to spread to the world. We have good to do in this world and we have good to do for our neighbors and fellow Americans. So with that in mind, whatever it is you're going to do this weekend, even if it's just taking a drive, be a good person on the road. Don't be cutting people off, flicking people off, flashing your lights, getting all aggressive. You know, you're not going to get there much faster. Uh, and you're probably still going to get stuck at the same red light with that dude you just cut off. And that's just going to be embarrassing. So don't do that. Uh, if you're at the grocery store, help somebody reach for something. Um, just be kind, be generous, you know, flash a smile at people every now and then if you're able to take your mask off. And other than that, just be a good human being. And so thank you for tuning in. This is your Friday debrief on a Saturday uh, episode 15 of the Point B podcast. I appreciate you tuning in. I will see you next week.